0: Welcome to the Women in Government podcast. Whether discussing important issues or policies of the day, this is a place where lawmakers and decision makers unite to get the conversation started.
1: This July 26 marks the 30th anniversary of a landmark decision that changed the lives of people living with disabilities. In 1990, the Americans with Disabilities Act, or ADA, was passed and signed into law that effectively prohibited discrimination against people with disabilities in all areas of public life. Hi, I'm Connecticut State Representative Christy Carpino. Thank you for listening to the latest Women in Government podcast, Increasing Access and Opportunity, 30 Years of the ADA. We've come a long way from the dark days of people being viewed as less than whole or in need of fixing. However, there's still plenty of work that needs to be done to be sure equal opportunity for employment, education, and public access for those with a disability. Joining in on the conversation, Illinois State Senator Julie Morrison. Senator Morrison is chair of the Senate Human Services Committee and founder of the Special Needs Caucus. She passed a package of proposals to help break down barriers people with disabilities face nowadays.
0: So nice to be with you.
1: We also have Bobby Silverstein, a Washington, D.C.-based attorney and team member of the State Exchange Unemployment and Disability, the SEED Project. In his capacity as the former Staff Director and Chief Counsel to the Senate Subcommittee on Disability Policy, he served as a behind-the-scenes architect of the ADA.
2: Glad to join you.
1: Nadia Mossberg is also joining us. Ms. Mossberg is Senior Policy Advisor with the U.S. Department of Labor, Office of Disability Employment Policy. She, too, is a member of SEED. Good morning, Representative Carpino. I also want to take a moment to thank everyone who is listening and remind you to like or share our podcast. You can also email us by visiting womeningovernment.org. Before 1990, it was a harsh world for many people with disabilities. It's difficult to even look back and remember how they were often excluded or isolated based on something called ugly laws, barring people with physical disabilities from being seen in public. Although we're celebrating 30 years of equality, we can't forget the grim statistics that remain. The University of New Hampshire, my alma mater, found in 2019, the overall employment gap in the United States between those with a disability and those without is more than 40%. When we examine overall salaries, the gaps don't look any better. On the low side, we see a difference of $2,200 in Louisiana. On the high side, there's a whopping gap of more than $20,000 in Washington, D.C. Today, we're going to discuss where we were, where we are, and all the positive places we hope to go while making life even better for those living with or loving someone with a disability. Bobby, you were there from the beginning. Why do you think Congress was able to pass and President George Bush Sr. able to sign the ADA into law in 1990?
2: Well, from a policymaker's point of view, this was like a dream scenario. You had incredible leadership and profiles and courage from Democrats and Republicans. So bipartisanship and trust was the major factor, starting from President Bush through Bob Dole, Republican minority leader. You had Senator Harkin, Senator Kennedy, Senator Orrin Hatch, Republican from Utah. So it was this bipartisanship and leadership from the top. You also had an interesting thing that the major proponents of the legislation, the disability community, was incredibly cohesive. There was a strong coalition of groups, and they were able to make a compelling case. And then the stakeholders, the state and local governments, the leadership around the country, expressed strong support for this civil rights statute recognizing the need. And then many in the business community, from the Chamber of Commerce to SHRM, Society for Human Resource Management, said, yes, we need a civil rights statute. They recognized the problems, but they also wanted to ensure that the concerns of the business community were addressed. So this group of folks from the policymakers to the disability community to the stakeholders all recognized pragmatism was important to balance the rights of people with disabilities with the legitimate concerns of state and local government and with the private sector.
1: Bobby, that sounds like a perfect environment to make policy. Do you think the ADA would pass today in today's environment?
2: Uh, No. (laughs) I think at the federal level, we do not have the bipartisan and trust that would be necessary In contrast, I think you would agree with me at the state level, disability policy is still often bipartisan, and there are these tremendous opportunities that are opened up by the 30th anniversary for real important action by state policymakers to make the ADA promise a reality.
1: I agree with you 100%. The states are far more nimble far more bipartisan, at least uh, at home in Connecticut, and we have the opportunity to make progress, particularly in situations like this. The Americans with Disabilities Act was a milestone for people with disabilities for many reasons. What is the primary message and significance of the ADA?
2: To me, it goes back to where we were as a nation historically and because of the ADA where we are now there was really a fundamental change in how society views people with disabilities. In your introduction, you made certain reference to the old approach of people with disabilities, which focused on things like pity, looking at people with disabilities as incapable, defective, and need of fixing. And as a result of those precepts, many policymakers were fine historically at federal and state level with exclusion, segregation, and isolation of people with disabilities. But with the ADA, there is a fundamental paradigm shift. The new core value is a simple phrase that is included in the legislation, that disability is a natural and normal part of the human experience that should in no way diminish a person's right to fully participate in all aspects of society. So what that means is that we need to treat people with dignity and respect. We need to focus on individual strengths and capabilities. We need to embrace and celebrate differences and foster empowerment and self-determination. And in addition to these attitudinal change, we need to fix the physical barriers that prevent people with disabilities from fully participating, whether they be building of facilities, whether they be transportation or communication barriers.
1: I couldn't have said it better, dignity and respect. Bobby. Rewinding the clock must bring back so many memories. You were there for the momentous occasion. Can you share a personal story with us?
2: Sure. This was pretty emotional experience for me to have had the opportunity to work firsthand with my boss, Senator Tom Harkin, who is a Democrat from Iowa. And let me just tell you a couple of stories. One is before it all started. Senator Harkin was told by Senator Kennedy that he would be the chief sponsor of the ADA. He had a group meeting of all his staff. And I can remember this like it happened yesterday, where one person who had been with Senator Harkin for many years said, Tom, be very careful when you sponsor this bill. You can't go too far. You can't be too progressive on this because no Democrat running for Senate in the state of Iowa had ever been reelected, so be careful. And Senator Harkin, who has a brother who is deaf, turned red with his finger, just was looking at this person furious and said, do not ever say this to me again. I ran for Senate not to be reelected. My brother is deaf. I understand discrimination firsthand. We will do whatever is necessary. And that's the way he was for the entire time. When we were on the Senate floor for final passage, he was a floor manager and he did something else historic. He debated a bill without words. He used sign language only as a message to his brother. And finally... He made a dedication, which I hope I can get through some of this, because every time I read it, I get emotional, because he made a dedication to the next generation of folks born with disabilities, and he dedicated the ADA to this ADA generation. With the passage of ADA, he said, we as a society make a pledge that every child with a disability will have the opportunity to maximize his or her potential to live proud, productive, and prosperous lives in the mainstream. We love you all and welcome you into the world. We look forward to becoming your friends, neighbors, and coworkers. We say whatever you decide is your goal, go for it. The doors are open and the barriers are coming down. And that's what the ADA is all about as reflected, and I had the privilege and opportunity to be on the Senate floor when this dedication was read.
1: That is a tremendous memory. One of the biggest highlights of the ADA must be the historic role it had in busting down barriers to employment, public services, and telecommunications. I'd like to bring Nadia into the conversation. You're with the U.S. Department of Labor's Office of Disability Employment Policy. As a person with a disability, can you share a personal perspective of telework?
3: Thank you. As a self-proclaimed introvert, one would think I love telework, but the reality is I have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with it. I don't drive, and I often rely on public transportation and paratransit to get around. So the thought of not having to navigate the crowded train station or or be stuck in hours of traffic definitely has its appeal. But it was a difficult transition for me to make to full-time telework because in more than 20 years of professional experience, so much of my time and energy had been spent helping break down barriers and negative stereotypes of people with disabilities in the workplace. In some respects, the move to full-time telework made me feel like I had failed to prove that I had the skills, talents, and ability to work in an integrated setting. But that couldn't be further from the truth. But psychologically, I had to shift my thinking and remember that I was only one of two employees at the time who were given permission to telework on a full-time basis. When the office shifted to full-time telework for all the employees a few months ago, I was asked, along with several other employees to share my effective strategies for telework. As I've had some extra time to think about my experience teleworking, I've realized that it's strengthened my communication skills and those of my team, given me a deeper appreciation for challenges that states face and allowed me to focus on what matters most to me, and that is the relationship with my team and helping to remove barriers for people with disabilities. But I acknowledge that telework is not for everyone and not everyone has the same reasons for telework. I know that for some people, telework is necessary because they have difficulty concentrating and they need a quiet space or they need extra time to take care of their medical needs or they're concerned about getting sick because of COVID-19 or other airborne illnesses. So not everyone finds telework helpful or useful, though, as with any accommodation, an interactive process is necessary when considering as an option. Thank
1: you, Nadia. And I believe that that is key. You make a very important point that everybody is an individual and there is no one-size-fits-all solution to making the work environment productive for an individual. I do think we can all agree that employment is important and the most direct way to empower people with disabilities to achieve independence and economic self-sufficiency, and that's why we must ensure an equal playing field for everyone in the labor field. Nadia, can you discuss in a little bit more detail some of the employment supports and examples of policies to promote successful remote workplace accommodations?
3: First, let me describe what employment supports are Employment supports are those elements that allow someone to find and maintain employment, but not the job itself. And if you think about it, we all need some degree of employment supports to live in and fully engage in our communities. And part of that engagement includes employment, transportation to get to work, technology on the job, supplies and equipment in the workplace to perform the essential functions of our jobs, For most people with disabilities, some of those supports may look a little bit different. As I mentioned earlier, some people may need an accommodation, a quieter space to work. Perhaps someone may need a screen reader or voice recognition software or other assistive technology to access the computer. Someone else may need clearly written instructions to ensure that they're able to understand what needs to be done. The Office of Disability Employment Policy within the U.S. Department of Labor has a number of resources on accommodations and telework. And as a federal agency that is non-regulatory, ODEP promotes policies and coordinates with employers in all levels of government to increase the workplace success of people with disabilities. Some of our notable resources on accommodations and telework include the accommodations webpage, which provides an overview of reasonable accommodations under the ADA and provides examples. And we also recently updated our website with coronavirus information resources that links to other federal guidance and resources on COVID-19 and the employment of people with disabilities. And lastly, there's a workplace flexibility toolkit that provides information to employees, employers, policymakers, and researchers related to time, place, and tasks, and highlights workplace flexibility strategies related to ODEP's customized research-based data. There's also some additional resources available from our technical assistance centers, which offer free services and resources in support of both employers and individuals with disabilities, but for more information, I would encourage listeners to visit ODEP's website at wwwdoldepartmentoflaborgovernor slash ODEP, O-D-E-P.
1: Thank you. There is definitely a wide spectrum among the states. As Bobby mentioned earlier, one of the guiding principles of the ADA is that disability is a natural and normal part of the human experience, and that it in no way diminishes a person's right to fully participate in all aspects of society. I know we touched on this a little bit earlier, but can you address the importance of empowering a workforce inclusive of people with disabilities?
3: One of the key things that I've been thinking about as states and local governments are thinking about and preparing for the future. I think it's vital and important to leverage the skills and talents of every person, including those with disabilities. As you know, strong state and local government economies mean a strong American economy and one that is able to remain competitive globally. A workforce that is inclusive of people with disabilities that includes people who are born with disabilities, become ill or injured on the job or in the workplace, veterans with disabilities, and the aging population demonstrates its ability to account for a diverse range of needs and perspectives. This, in turn, allows both employers and companies to better meet the needs of customers.
1: Ever since that hot summer day in late July of 1990, state and local policymakers have had the opportunity to impact the lives of their constituents disabilities by ensuring the policies being developed are inclusive. Illinois State Senator Julie Morrison is someone making a positive impact. Senator Morrison has successfully gotten a package of proposals signed into law aimed at increasing state employment of individuals with disabilities. She's quoted as saying, having a job means having dignity, independence, and purpose, regardless of whether or not an individual has a disability. Senator, can you tell us about your three Senate bills and how they will impact people with disabilities living in your state?
0: Certainly. I want to tell you a little background on how we actually came to develop this legislation because I think it's helpful for other legislators to maybe relate to it. Myself and colleagues in the General Assembly created a special needs caucus. It was comprised of members of both parties in both houses And to qualify, you simply needed to have an interest in assisting people who have special needs to have a more full, productive, inclusive life. We found in Illinois, initially, there was tremendous interest in this. Through discussions with stakeholders and legislators across the state, became apparent that there were a couple very straightforward ways that we could Immediately assist. And as one of the previous speakers mentioned, nimble is a good word. State government does tend to be more nimble than federal government usually. The first piece of legislation I want to tell you about is Senate Bill 1136. And basically what this did was it required the Department of Central Management Services to conduct an annual presentation about what state hiring programs are available for persons with disabilities and require state agencies to send at least one person to attend the department's presentation. What are we presently doing now? What is already in place? But are those things being taken advantage of? We found that these presentations and this information was available, but that it wasn't being widely attended and the information wasn't being well-circulated. This is a very straightforward, no-cost way to advance ADA in a state. So I would say sometimes we need to look at the most basic, straightforward ways of advancing. The other bill I'd like to talk to you about this morning was Senate Bill 726. And this created a Disabled Persons Trainee Program in all state agencies, that had more than 1,500 employees, and it also allowed and encouraged our constitutional officers, like our governor, our treasurer, our comptroller, our secretary of state, to participate, even though they wouldn't have that many employees. The trainee program would be administered by the Department of Central Management Services, and that's the state agency in Illinois that does hiring, and is basically our HR arm, if you would. The trainee program was to last for six months, and it also required that the trainee work a minimum of 20 hours a week. We wanted to give the trainee a real honest taste of what work would look like, what that position required. And I think sometimes we tend to sort of dummy down jobs and work opportunities for people that have special needs or a disability, When, in fact, that's the opposite of what we should be doing. We should be empowering them and giving them the tools they need to be successful. CMS would place the disabled persons in an appropriate job code. In other words, we weren't making something up. This was a job already in place in state government. And upon six months of completion of this trainee internship, This trainee would then be exempt from taking any required testing and that would put the person on the Successful Disabilities Program hiring list. In other words, we now ask everyone, regardless of ability or disability, to take a written test. And if you have worked with folks who do have special challenges or special needs, you know That's patently unfair and discriminatory in so many ways. This, we felt, was an opportunity, a workaround, to actually let the applicant perform and demonstrate their ability to do the job. So this internship program, I think, has tremendous potential and really looking forward to seeing it roll out in the next few months.
1: Can you explain a bit about why it's so important for states to address employment of people with disabilities?
0: The states, along with local governments, are playing a vital role in building a strong and inclusive workforce to ensure that our whole nation's labor force can respond to global challenges. We need to remain competitive, and we need to leverage the skills and talents of all constituents, and that includes individuals with disabilities. In that spirit, it's critical for policymakers, both state, local, and federal, to create accessible and inclusive environments that promote greater workforce participation and employment success for everybody, especially people with disabilities, including veterans with service-connected disabilities.
1: In an effort to help state and local governments develop and implement meaningful policies and best practices that lead to more employment opportunities for people with disabilities, state intermediary organizations, one being women in government, have teamed up to create the State Exchange on Employment and Disability, or SEED. I think it's safe to say the Americans with Disabilities Act laid the groundwork for inclusive policy, but there is more that needs to be done. Bobby, can you tell us about SEED's policy checklist and some of the other materials I understand it serves as a resource for state and local government leaders like Senator Morrison and myself when designing, implementing, and evaluating public policy.
2: We talked earlier about the old paradigm that treated people with the fact of a need of fixing versus the new paradigm where disability is a natural, normal part of the human experience. So what C did was took that basic new paradigm and developed a checklist for state policymakers. Starting with statement of findings, statement of purpose and policy that are typically in legislation, the key requirements. And then not only do we want to have some core requirements for policies that impact people with disabilities, but implementation. So how do you make sure that the administrative methods and strategies to ensure implementation occur. And we just developed this checklist so that when you're developing public policy based on the new paradigm, you'll have you and your staff and Ledge Council will have a guide for designing new public policy that addresses the needs of people with disabilities.
3: One of the other things I think it does is remove some of the fear and sort of daunting task of considering writing policy that is inclusive for for a state policy maker who may not have any experience but be interested in writing an inclusive policy uh, This actually walks them through the process, providing points to consider to make sure that everything is covered, and then nothing is left as a loose end.
1: According to the CDC, 61 million adults in the United States are living with disability. That's one in four. That makes the work policymakers and industry leaders are doing even more important during this 30-year milestone. SEED has been hard at work on creating resources to help states recognize and celebrate the ADA all year long. The central theme, increasing access and opportunity, says it all. Can you elaborate a bit on what the Work Matters policy framework entails?
2: Sure. What happened was a bunch of state and policymakers got together in 2015, 2016, and they said, we want to share lessons learned from our colleagues. So we put together a report called Work Matters which includes probably 250 examples of what states have done to enhance employment opportunities for people with disabilities, ranging from state as a model employer to private sector involvement to transition for youth to disability-owned businesses, accessible transportation, stay at work, return to work. These were some of the major topics. And this framework is for basically... A state policymaker who says, hmm, I want to do something. I want to do something on fast-track hiring authority. I don't want to start from scratch. Well, instead of reinventing the wheel, here's this document that uh, provides a starting point of policy options. And Senator Morrison's bill is a perfect example of work matters having different policy options. And, she actually developed legislation that is now being shared with other states as a example of a policy option for giving people with disabilities another opportunity. Now, I'd like to share with you that this document was done in 2016, but every month we update that document. So we know every bill that has been introduced and enacted up through May of 2020 that deals with any topic dealing with disability employment policy. So if you want to take action, the C-Project has the resources and has the knowledge base to be able to give you examples of options that other states have adopted.
1: We cited a few statistics at the beginning of the podcast. And I have to tell you, the numbers were far from glowing. Despite all the progress since the passage of the ADA, people with disabilities still experience unemployment and underemployment rates far above the national average. How can we use the Emerging Disability Policy Framework to enhance employment opportunities for people with disabilities in the workforce?
2: I just want to emphasize again that Disability Policy Framework is a perfect lens a guidepost, a checklist to enhance, to enable, to facilitate the development of public policy. We have experience. We have states that have done this before. This framework just puts it in an easy form so that if a state policymaker is not sure what to do, here's a place to start.
0: Bobby, the Senator Morrison, and you could not have hit the nail on the head more clearly for me. I am not an expert in disability law, nor had I even done a lot in legislation, but this framework provided what I needed and what my legal staff and drafting team needed to be able to come up with something that would be viable and would work in our state, and now I believe in other states as well. So you're absolutely right. This should encourage legislators who care and who want to take action but aren't exactly sure how. Here's their guidepost.
2: And, you know, I've been doing this for 50 years now, and I use this checklist every time I get a request for policy guidance from state. I still use this checklist to make sure that we're addressing the various issues from a disability perspective.
3: As a person with a disability and as a policy maker myself, I want to also just bring up the importance of this checklist is not meant to replace involving people with disabilities in the policy making process. So I would just encourage policymakers as they are considering legislation to talk with the disability community in their state. It's important that people with disabilities have a seat at the table and a voice in the conversation.
0: Words matter. Prior to the
1: enactment of the ADA, People with disabilities were called ugly names and unfairly segregated and denied equal opportunity. With the 30th anniversary upon us, it's time for officials to be very loud and clear with their words. There's an official proclamation recognizing the three decades of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Can you tell us a bit about it?
0: This is an opportunity for all of us across the nation to sort of link arms, to announce very loudly and very proudly the progress we have made, but also to address the needs that are still so blatantly unfilled. This is a proclamation to recommit, to reduce barriers. This is a time for us to re-engage stakeholders, to re-engage the community that the ADA serves, and to really open and expand the communication lines that, while they've been in place 30 years, can definitely be improved
1: how else can state policymakers recognize and celebrate the ADA all year and use it as a platform to elevate National Disability Employment Awareness Month in October?
0: I think that every state in the nation should have its own proclamation. I also believe this is a wonderful opportunity for legislators to introduce legislation, whether it be modeled on things that I've done or other states. And October has been named National Disability Employment Awareness Month. What better time to work as a nation, as individual states, to highlight the work that has been done and the opportunities that exist? I believe that states should lead by example. We so often ask corporate business, large employers, small employers, why aren't you hiring people that have disabilities? What are the barriers? Why isn't this happening more? The states need to lead by example. We are big employers generally. That's why this internship program rings true. When we can demonstrate and show businesses large and small the ability that people with disabilities have and how they can be integrated into already existing jobs, I think we do the work we're meant to. I would also like to remind everybody that October will be a time when across the nation, many folks will be voting. There's a lot of early voting opportunities. People with disabilities should have the opportunity, the rights, and easy and healthy access to a ballot. So I believe states that do have early voting, that have voting by mail opportunities, that have curbside voting, these are all things that states should be highlighting and talking about. COVID 19 has turned the basket upside down for us in so many ways, but nothing is more important during our election cycle than providing safe and accessible polling. And that includes all of our friends who have special needs and disabilities.
1: As we wrap up, it would be very remiss of us not to discuss these uncertain times. COVID 19 has been the latest and perhaps greatest public health game changer we've seen in a long time.
3: As I mentioned earlier, ODEP has a webpage devoted to COVID-19 information and resources and the Office of Disability Employment Policy as well as the Department of Labor are working diligently to ensure the health and safety and rights of people with disabilities during this precedent time to make sure that they are part of the recovery. On our webpage, there are a number of references to federal guidance and resources on COVID-19 that relate to both people with disabilities and employers. So I would encourage everyone to visit our website.
1: Now I'd like to provide some time for closing remarks, perhaps where we'd like to see the future of the ADA. Senator Morrison, we can start with you.
0: We need to have an opportunity for states and local governments to step forward to actually put into play the strong framework that the ADA has provided to us. We need to be more engaging with the community that we serve, and that means having conversations one-on-one in groups. It does no good for someone to sit in a capital office and declare what they think is in the best interest of a person with special needs or disability. At the same time, we need to link employers into those conversations. I think this is a starting point, and I hope that this anniversary is a first step in opening and expanding employment because that is absolutely paramount and key For persons with disabilities, it provides access to greater health insurance opportunities. It provides greater inclusion, better housing. I could go down the list, but that's my hope for this year as we celebrate the 30th anniversary. Bobby, any final thoughts?
2: Just to again share with you the resources that SEED, the State Exchange Unemployment and Disability, offers to state policymakers. SEED doesn't have answers, but they do have options. They can share with you if you want to do a proclamation for the 30th anniversary. SEED has prepared for other states' proclamations. Instead of starting from scratch, you might want to use the proclamation developed by another state. We've developed for the 30th anniversary for other states a joint resolution or executive order that establishes working groups so that the state can systematically look at how to expand and improve disability policy. SEED is here as a resource for you. If you want help in drafting legislation, SEED can do that. If you want to learn what other states have done to enhance employment opportunities, we can share that. We have gone into a number of states, and they've said, look at our policy from a comprehensive perspective. Where are the gaps? We've done a gap analysis. So we're here to provide policy assistance to those states who wanna take action and look at the ADA anniversary as a window of opportunity to foster and facilitate equality of opportunity for people with disabilities.
1: And Nadia, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Why don't you give us your final thoughts?
3: Clearly 2020 is gonna be remembered for a lot of things, but on the positive side, this year is the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act, or the ADA, and the ODEP recognizes that it's a difficult time for many businesses and workers, but we also feel that now more than ever, it's important to honor the third anniversary of the ADA, because capitalizing on all segments of the population, including people with disabilities, will be essential for America's economy, economic recovery, and growth. So throughout 2020, I encourage you to continue to observe and celebrate increasing access and opportunity. Really, the the concept of accommodations inherent in the ADAs, employment provisions, the idea that people with disabilities and workers with disabilities should have access to the supports they need to be productive is perhaps more relevant than ever because we've all had to learn to adapt and figure out how we work best through the pandemic. And the other thing I would just add is that the ADA helped open the doors to get me and a lot of other people with disabilities where I am today. But I also am very aware that as we continue to move forward as a society and in light of new developments in technology, that it's very possible that as new technologies are developed, people with disabilities may face additional barriers. One of the ways that I think we can best honor the spirit of the ADA and what the drafters and advocates intended was to ensure that people with disabilities are included in the process of developing and implementing policy moving forward. And that means having a seat at the table and a voice in the conversation.
1: Been an incredible 30 years of breaking down barriers and striving for equality in employment, education, and public access for people with disabilities. This Americans with Disabilities Act remains a crucial tool in addressing persistent discrimination and new barriers like inaccessible websites, online systems, mobile apps, and other forms of information and communication technology. One thing is certain, What we do today will impact future generations of people looking to live their own American dream over the next 30 years. I'd like to thank all of our guests for joining us on the latest Women in Government podcast. I'd also like to thank all the listeners for taking the time to hear this important discussion. Don't forget to subscribe to, like, or share our podcast. You can also email us by visiting womeningovernment.org.
0: You've been listening to the Women in Government podcast, a resource made available for those interested in discussing important issues and policies of the day. For more information, please visit our website at womeningovernment.org.